is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials on February 29th, 2020. And in this episode, I talked to Ann Mazur. Ann recently got her OTQ at the California International Marathon. And what a race she had. I couldn't wait to talk to Ann. We actually spoke a couple days after the race because this is someone who I followed on Instagram and through her newsletter for a long time. Ann is a devotee of yoga and has done incredible work, not only within her own practice, but teaching others both in person and through the internet. She is just doing amazing stuff. And I couldn't wait to talk to Ann because Just like so many other people that I've talked to both on this podcast and on The Rambling Runner, I love hearing people talk about their running journey, especially if it's not a linear progression in one of those like, all right, step one, step two, step three type formulas. And was an elite runner in college. She ran Notre Dame, um, which also had Molly Huddle on the team at the time, a, a very high level team. So her getting her having running success isn't exactly a surprise. However, what is a surprise is how much better she got when she stopped trying to do huge mileage and really started doing more yoga, less running. I know, becoming better at running while running less. It's like the dream scenario and has put it into practice and is willing and able to teach all of us exactly how to do it just like she did. So I couldn't wait to talk to her. Getting an OTQ is a huge deal for all people and the the pictures at the California International Marathon, as we've discussed here in this podcast before, were just amazing visuals. And Anne was right in the middle of all of that. And it was just such an inspiring day for so many people who were at the race and those of us who weren't, but were able to see it through the eyes and cameras of the people who were. So let's get into this episode with Anne Mazur. Hello, Anne, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. I'm so happy to be here and to be talking under these circumstances. Under these circumstances, indeed. You just finished up at the California International Marathon with a blistering fast, 244, 45, 15 seconds under the magic number. And first of all, congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I tell you what, it's, it's one of those things where obviously... Anytime someone achieves a goal like this, it's very special. I, it, it's it's a wonderful t- it's a wonderful thing. This time of year now, for like the last three years, it's just like the 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 CIM finish line is just like this hallmark moment within the running media videos and pictures and all of that. We're going to talk about so much today, but can you just take me? to that finish line, you know, the 200 meters leading up to the line, crossing, and then just that feeling and embrace afterwards. Can you just run us through that? Because I this, it's just so amazing to see, um, and I can only imagine what it felt like for you. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I honestly, like the whole, even like last half of the race, I had almost turned my brain off and not think about what I was hopefully going to do, you know, and I ran really consistent splits really almost the whole way. But then you get to the end there and, you know, I still wasn't letting myself, like, I was like, I think I can do this, you know, like swearing in my mind. <laughs> like, I think I might actually be doing this right now. And 
you see the 800 meters to go. And I looked down at my watch at 800 meters to go and it was like 241 something. And I'm like doing math a little bit, but my brain also at this point can't even really do math. And I'm like, I can do it. I can do it. And uh, I knew I was in front of the pacer, Chris, who was like the man um, and running the red line, as he called it. Like he, he told us at the elite meeting that he would just run as close to 245 flat as he could and just be right under. So I knew I was ahead of him. So I knew I was okay. And then, you, you know, it is just, I, like, it's like being in a dream. Like I saw that 800 meters to go and I'm like, holy crap, I'm going to do this. And then 400 meters to go. And then you round that turn and it's 200 meters to go. And I can see the clock and it's 244. You know, I don't know what it was, but it was low enough that I knew I was good. And I just started sprinting as best I could sprint at that point. And I have never felt so relieved to get to the finish line in my entire life. Like I, I'm going to almost cry right now. It was awesome. And just getting there. And then, then my first thought was like, I would like to lay down right now. <laughs> so that's actually what I did is I actually like laid on the ground and then some people helped me up and the medical woman there was like, do you need a wheelchair? And I'm like, no, no, no. Um, and then as soon as I got up, I was just looking around for these, like I saw certain girls a lot over the, you know, the start of the race, it was this huge pack. It was like a stampede of mostly women running this 617. And then throughout the race, it just got smaller and smaller and smaller. And then there were a couple girls over the last 10K that I kept just seeing, you know, and you didn't even, I didn't even feel like I had to even be saying anything to them. Like you knew these girls around you were trying to do the same exact thing you were doing. And I just found these couple girls that I was near or I had seen. And we kind of, you know, the, the one uh, girl, her name I found out later is Amanda. We kind of gone back and forth, like who was in front of the other one. And I'm like, this girl's going to do it. I know she's going to do it. So I found her and gave her like the biggest hug ever. And we like, I, I was actually almost so happy. I couldn't even cry, but I felt like I was crying. I don't know. I, I've never been so happy in one. It, it was just like a pressure valve came off because... I've wanted to do this for so long. I like really, I don't know. My one of my best friends, Louise, made it back at the last trials in Boston. She qualified that one like really good weather year at Boston. And she was like just under 245, too. I don't remember her exact time, but you know, it's always been a dream of mine to make Olympic trials in the marathon. So to then finally do it, I don't know. It's just the most incredible feeling ever. And then just what I just was in shock. I'm still kind of in shock. You might be able to tell. <laughs> um, I, yeah, my mind is just blown still. I can't believe it. And to cut it that close is just insane too. And when you look back at the videos of those final 30 seconds or so, which you're kind of right in the middle of finishing at two forty four forty five, when you watch that video, is that how you saw it unfolding while you were kind of in the first person or were you much more insular and kind of like focused with on yourself and not really recognizing the people around you, whether it's the crowd or the people, the girls at the finish line or the women who are kind of running it in, at a similar pace to you. I, I remember they're like, I would say it's probably a little bit more insular. I don't know, kind of both. It's like you're, you're outside of your body practically. Like you can't believe what your own body is actually doing. If that makes sense. You could just, I could hear so much noise around me and people cheering. Like it was really loud. Um, I have no idea who was around me during that finish stretch. 
really. Like I was aware that there were a couple other moving dots, <laughs> but I had no idea. And also looking at the video after the fact, I had no idea that I looked that happy. Like I look like I'm insane. <laughs> um, you were very, very happy, but so was everybody else. It's funny because like th there's almost no difference between the faces of the people spectating at the line and the finishers. Everyone seemed to be in this like mass jubilation. Yeah, it was amazing. Like, I didn't realize I waved my arms around that much. <laughs> um, but, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was just, just pure pure joy is all I can describe it as. It was unreal. So w when near the finish line, do they separate the men and the women? Because I know that they have different finish lines at CIM, which is rare for a lot of places. What is that process like? And I, and I was trying to put myself in your shoes. I'm like, is that nerve wracking at all to like make sure you go down the right one? Like I've been in marathons where they where everyone starts together. And then like the half marathon goes, takes a right. The marathon takes a left. And you're like, wait, 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 am I on the right side? Am I going the right way? And I can only imagine at the end of a marathon it being even more confusing potentially. Yeah, well, CIM, I must say, is the most it's just such an impeccably organized race. I, I, this was my third CIM. I ran CIM in 2015. At that point, I was just chasing my sub three. I had missed my sub three at Steamtown a couple months earlier. And then I was 257 at CIM. And then last year, I ran CIM again, and I was 248, which was also a PR, although, of course, not as fast as I wanted my PR to be. Um, and they they just do everything right. Like, actually, I, I thought that same thought that you just were saying about, you know, oh, wasn't that nerve wracking? And it actually only just made me nervous after the fact. Like yesterday I was thinking like, oh my gosh, like what if I had somehow gone down the wrong chute or something? And it would have been fine because they're actually the same distance. It's not like they're like, oh, we're going to DQ you because you ran down the man chute. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't even really remember in the throes of it all, like how that happened. I knew I was there must have been a sign that said like women this way, men this way. Um, and I know they're the same distance, but it was really cool having a women only finish line too. That was, that was neat. Um, and yeah, the women were the first turn and the men were the second turn. So it was, yeah, yeah, it was fine. It was, <laughs> that sounds more nerve wracking, I think, than it probably was. CIM did a great job. It was amazing. So you've been getting close to this this barrier, this 245 barrier for a while now. You just mentioned the 248. You know, you've also run the kind of like the 248, 250 range in kind of your three previous marathons. And with that kind of being the foundation from which you were continuing to build from, how did your training cycle progress um, this time around? And were you able to make apples to apples comparisons with previous uh, training cycles? Yes, I actually want to go back and do like a more I, I'm a, I, I got my PhD in English at UVA, but I was a math major first at Notre Dame. So I was a math English double major. So I, I love my training log. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> um, it, it's very handwritten. And, you know, I write everything down with like my special colored pens and whatever. Um, but I want to do like a more detailed analysis and look at my mileage, you know, as it built up or whatever. But um I would say like this, this fall, this, this spring was a little interesting. So after CIM in 2018, I had an Achilles issue that just wouldn't go away. and was really irritating. 
Um, so after I ran that 248 at CIM last fall, which by the way, I ran that on a, I only had done two long runs. One was 16 and one was 17 miles. So in um, at CIM last year, I kind of just blew up a little bit at mile 20, which at that point was already like three or four miles further than I had run <laughs> um, all fall. Um, and then it took me, you know, a little bit longer to get into you know, where I felt comfortable and having enough base under me where I could run another marathon. So I had wanted to try earlier in the spring of 2019, like maybe more like March or so, but that was just absolutely not a possibility. Um, so grandma's was really the soonest I could try, but you know, then you're getting into summer and it's such a, you know, crapshoot in a way, like what the weather is going to be like, or, you know, people were like, well, you could go to Boston. And I'm like, well, you know, it could also be a torrential downpour there. So <laughs> maybe not. Um, so at Grandma's, I, uh, my goal was, you know, just do more long runs, because I felt like that was my weakness in the fall of 2018 was I just didn't get enough long runs in. Um, so I had, I think a 22 miler, it was at least 22. And I actually ran that by mistake because my friend and I got lost on our long run. <laughs> um, but I did 22 miles as my longest long run headed to grandma's. Um, and then this fall, I was like, well, you know, whatever I did for grandma's kind of worked. Um, but I think I, I peaked a little too soon for grandma's. I did. I, I, I love racing. So I'm very people are going to not even believe this, but I'm very unconventional in my training. Like my peak my biggest mileage week for CIM this fall was 61 miles. And that was, I actually just, I just looked at this right before this conversation. So I ran 61 miles a week of November 4th. And then the six weeks before that, I was between 49 and 54 miles. So that was really my peak for this round, um, which is definitely on the lower side, but I race a lot. And, so. and I want to jump in there too, because I, I want to talk to you about this um, later in the conversation too, is that it's not as if you had like this lifetime of high mileage that you can lean on. Like that's more than you'd run in the past. <laughs> so it's not as if like you have this lifetime fitness that Jared Ward likes to talk about that you can lean on as a marathoner. You have a very different approach to training. And I can't wait to talk about the, the combination of the yoga and the running and how it complements each other in a way that I think you've pioneered in a sense for me, at least in terms of how they can work in a way that maybe is a little bit more atypical compared to some of your peers. Yeah. People are not going to believe what my training actually is. Like they would, even my husband, like I did the, um, I knew CIM was going to go well and I knew I had a shot if I just kind of believed in myself. And, you know, that's also easier said than done sometimes. Um, when you're looking for a three and a half minute, a little over a three and a half minute PR. Um, but I did the, um, the fourth year 5k here at UVA, it's like a, just a 5k that all the fourth year college students do. And I was 1728 and I had kind of approached that as sort of a workout. And that's actually my 5k road PR. So I kind of ran that by mistake. So, and it's a really, really hilly course. Like we ran through gravel for parts of it. It was cold. You know, it made me feel like after the fact, just really confident, you know, about whatever I'm doing this fall is probably working. But I came home and my husband was like, how did you do that? He's like, you don't even do any speed work. Like, I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> so yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's just been an awesome fall where all the races I've done this fall, I did, I did 11 races since the beginning of August. So I did, I actually wrote this down too. I did two one mile races, three 5Ks, 
two four milers, three halves, and then I did one 6.6K, which is the Mario Lemieux charity race up in Pittsburgh, my hometown. <laughs> so I did 11 races. So I love racing. Um, so I use that kind of as my speed work. But in all my races this fall, I just felt really good. It was just like things were starting to come together finally. Um, and then I did that and then just made sure I got in. I actually did a 23-mile long run about a month out. And I had company for that, which made a huge difference. I trained mostly myself for running. So, um, yeah, it's just things kept coming together. And I kept running faster at these races that I usually do that I knew I had a shot. So what what did you use to try to set up a, uh, a strategy for the race or a race plan. Like when you say, all right, I'm, I'm definitely fitter than I have in the past. I'm prepared. I'm more prepared for this marathon than the three previous ones. And you knew what times you had run. How did you know how to pace yourself? Um, when it comes to, you know, when it came, when it came to actually running CIM. Yeah. This is also going to slightly blow people's minds. Cause I feel like I didn't totally have a game plan. Like the, the day before, I was actually thinking to myself, I'm like, there's all these other runners out there who have their coaches, who they've gone over like, oh, at 10K, you want to be right around here. And then, oh, this mile's downhill, so look out for that one. And my my game plan was kind of honestly like see how I felt um, and hopefully be at the pace I needed to be at. So, you know, I've, I've been in other marathons before. Like I did grandma's back in 2018, which was my first like real realistic attempt at going sub 245. And I went out with a group that their plan was just keep running like around 610 to 615. And I could tell in that first 10 miles of that race at grandma's that I was just pushing a tiny bit too hard. Like it was just taking a tiny bit too much out of me where I was like a little beyond my sweet spot of like where I felt like a pace I could hold was. So my plan for CIM was just find that pace where I felt comfortable and that I could keep it. And I was just kind of praying that that would be at least a 617 or faster. Um, and, you know, I think with marathons, you can also only plan so much. So it was so congested in the first couple miles that if I had wanted to go out faster, I really couldn't have because I was boxed in from front, both sides and back. You know, it was like you're trying to not trip on people. Um, and you know, maybe that actually worked out to help me that there were so many people at the start and I couldn't take it out faster. Um, cause then I just kind of fell into a rhythm. I, I know if there's one thing I'm good at, it's being really consistent and just knocking out the same thing over and over and over again. Um, and that's always been true with my training from the time I was a little girl at swim practice. You know, I would just, I was always that person who would just keep doing the same interval <laughs> over and over and over and over again. Um, and, uh, you know, somewhere along the line in the middle of the race, I, I passed the half at 122, 24. And, you know, at that point, it wasn't like I had some magical day where I felt just awesome the whole time. I, you know, ran through that half and I, I honestly, in my mind, I was like, well, 50, 50 shot, we got this. And in past marathons, I've seen my husband somewhere around like the 13 to 16 mark. And I've been, you know, at grandma's the past two years, you know, where I knew, I knew it like 13 to 15 in there that I wasn't going to get it. I would be like, I'd see Philip, my husband and be like, Oh man, Philip, we're in trouble now. <laughs> and luckily I didn't see Philip to say like, Oh, 50, 50 shot. Um, and then, you know, I saw, I then did see him and, you know, I'm like, good thumbs up smiling, you know, and I uh, kind of just told myself, 
you know, and if there's anything you can do, you can run a consistent pace. So just lock into this pace and keep going. Um, at one point I found myself, I don't even, you know, it all kind of blurs together now, which is crazy, but, um, probably I'm totally guessing here, but in the like eight to 11 mile range, somewhere in there, I found myself a little bit ahead of the pace group and I felt like it was just harder without them. So I was like, ah, you know, and get back there, run with them. So they caught back up to me and then they passed me a little bit. And then I was like, oh no, you know, get back up there. So just having those, the pacers, there were these three tall, awesome guys who had the same singlet on. They were really visible. You know, I've never had such a well-paced, you know, had, had pacers like that to draw upon in a marathon. So that was, that was awesome. I mean, you still have to stay with them, (laughs) but they did a great job of running a really even race. And, um, having them as sort of a benchmark the whole way where I almost could just mentally trick myself and be like, just stay with them, stay with them. Um, that, that was amazing. That really helped. And then over the last 10 K I had to just be like, Oh my gosh, you're going to do it. But I couldn't even think that yet. You know, it was, it was nuts. Now, considering that you don't put in those, you know, the, the, the high mile weeks that a lot of your peers do and, and shoot, you know, you're in that 40 to 50 mile range and you throw like a pretty long, long run in the, on the weekend, you know, it, it obviously doesn't make for a lot of, you know, longer midweek days. So how do you dial in your race day nutrition and how has your race day nutrition changed over time? Oh yeah. Well, I took in a lot of nutrition over CIM. I had, um, and I have a, t- I do, you know, I'm going to knock on wood here, but I have a, I have a pretty tough stomach where I always actually eat my pre-race meal about 90 minutes before the start of the race for, for any race. Um, and then for the marathon, I try to be like maybe 15 minutes earlier than that. Just, you know, I'm not one of those people that's waking up at 3am to like go eat their brunch. <laughs> um, so I had, um, for my pre-race meal, I had a banana that I like slice lengthwise and then I put peanut butter down the middle. And then I chop it up into pennies and I eat it like that. Um, and then I had a one of those little oatmeals that come in the cardboard bowl that you, you know, just add water to. And I actually ate that on the bus. And my husband was asking me about this later too. And I think I was like literally the only person on the bus eating their meal on the way to the race. Because um, I was having that, I guess, at like probably 5.20 in the morning and the race was at 7.00. Um, and then when I was in the tent beforehand, I had part of a nature Valley granola bar. So, <laughs> um, and then during the race, so I had a goo, I love goo rocktane. Goo rocktane is, you know, I think everyone has to kind of find what works for them. And, you know, it definitely takes some experimenting, but I swear by that goo rocktane. It's so much better than the regular goo. I don't even know why. I, I have no idea why, but I can feel a difference when I have goo rocktane versus regular goo. <laughs> I don't even know why they wake, make regular goo. The goo rocktane is so much better for me anyway. Um, so I had one of those before the start by about like five minutes. And then I had at least four gels during the race. It's a little bit of a blur over the last like seven miles. So I could have had five, but I think I had four gels during the race. I had one at six, one around 12. And then I think I had one around 17-ish. And then I think I had another one around 21-ish. Um, and then I had 
it was just like the, oh my gosh, like I just can't believe like all the things that worked well at the last minute to like just make this come together for me. But I got bumped up due to last minute scratches from the seeded start list to the elite list. And that allowed me to get the elite water bottle stations, which I was actually kind of worried about because I've seen other marathons where people are running past the elite bottles and like panicking because they haven't got their bottle. So in my mind, I was kind of like, ah, and you know, if you miss a bottle, no big deal. There's seven of them out there. CIM had them placed every three miles, but it was so organized. I got every, every single bottle that I picked up. Um, and then in those bottles, I had mixed up Goo Roctane, the Summit tea flavor, which anyone who knows me would think that's absolutely hilarious because I love iced tea. It's like almost a joke how much I love iced tea. <laughs> so I'm literally finding a way to drink iced tea during the marathon. <laughs> but I had probably close to three packets of Goo Roctane Summit tea during the marathon too. So I had like probably five-ish Goos, three packets of Summit tea. Um, I don't know. That's a lot. <laughs> so during my long runs with my weird, unconventional training, I just made sure that I always had goose and that goo roctane summit tea like I was planning on for the race. Um, and that really helped. And I did do some like, I, I have definitely a very structured rhythm to my week that I've kind of fine tuned over the past, I would say a couple years, where, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'll do a longer run where I was hitting like maybe let's see my training. I, I have a training log and then I also get a sheet of paper and do like a training log at a glance for myself so I can look back quickly. And, you know, I was hitting like mm, 10, 11 miles for Tuesday, Wednesdays, and then really taking it easy on the other days. Um, I actually, for the almost probably the last month of my training, I, I actually ran five days a week. I just kept taking Thursdays off. Um, that kind of happened by mistake. I was actually just so tired one Thursday from my big volume Tuesday, Wednesday that I had done that I'm like, I can't run today. <laughs> and then I, I did a race that Saturday and felt great. And I'm like, well, maybe I should just keep running five days a week, week and take Thursdays with no running. And that worked out. So yeah, that was a long answer to that question. <laughs> it sure did. That's for sure. And all right. So let's, I'm struggling with the, what, what order to go in when we talk about the yoga. I guess we'll just start out with your mantra. And I loved your TEDx talk, um, which I know you filmed um, a handful of years ago. Um, but I thought it was very informative. And I'd love to hear how, how, it's, how your routine has changed since then. But I just love the logo of low mileage, high yoga. And that's not something, if someone had told me that, that is not something that I would have thought would be the recipe for running success, maybe a blissful life for sure, <laughs> but for running success, I would have never guessed that. And it's not as if, again, I'm gonna let you expand on this all the way, but it's not as if you're coming from a background where like you came from yoga and then started pursuing running. Again, you were at Notre Dame, you were doing cross country and track there. You were teammates and running partners with Molly Huddle. You had a fantastic four year career. You know, you are coming from a very traditional running background, and this is how it's, you know, evolved over time. So how would you describe that evolution? Oh, wow. Yeah, I, um, oh my gosh, that's so hard to know where to start. It's, um, I got into yoga at Notre Dame. So um, my college team, we had, we would always, for the most part, run an 800 warm up together and then stretch as a team. and 
kind of the joke is I am pretty sure Coach Connolly was like, wow, Anne is taking absolutely forever to do all her little extra stretches. Why don't I just put her in charge of leading team stretching? <laughs> and then everyone will have to do all these extra ones too. And we'll, you know, we won't have to wait for her. Um, so my senior year, I got put in charge of leading team stretching. And I think honestly, even before that, like within the team, I definitely had a reputation for like, wow, Anne's over there just doing her own little stretches. And, you know, afterwards I'd be in the training room doing, you know, this was like, I, I, it really helped me when I became a yoga teacher. Cause I just had such a intimate awareness of, you know, if I do this, it'll make my body feel better in this way. You know, if my calf is hurting it like that, if I stretch it like this, then I'm going to be good. Um, so it was actually really even fun helping my own teammates, you know, especially once I was older, like a senior or I was a fifth year on the team, um, while I was in grad school there and helping other people with the stretches too. That was just awesome. But somewhere along the line, I just kind of figured out like the more stretching I did, the better I felt, you know, we, in Notre Dame, we tended to do, um, a track workout, usually Tuesdays. Um, so we'd usually have like two to three workouts a week, usually like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, or, um, some, some, we'd always work out Tuesdays. So two to three workouts a week, always a Tuesday track workout or some kind of high intensity thing for the most part. And high intensity tends to generally be hard for me. I'm, I'm much better at just operating at, you know, this aerobic, just do that medium hard pace forever and ever, um, at Notre Dame, we would sometimes do this workout where you would do, you know, a certain amount of 1000s, it would be like three 1000s, and then, you know, four 800s, and then you'd finish with 200s. And without fail, I would be trying as hard as I could. And I would run the same exact pace for the 800s as I, you know, as for the 1000s as I would for the 200s. Like I, I would be so far ahead of everyone on the 1000s. And then the 200s, I'd be like last. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I stretched probably an hour a day in college. And then before I came to UVA for my PhD, I got certified as a yoga teacher. Um, and then I didn't even really tell the English department here, like how much I was teaching yoga. I taught like almost 600 yoga classes while I was in grad school here. Um, and, you know, probably honestly, as a result of grad school, because I was very, you don't know how hard grad school is at UVA until you actually do it, um, especially a PhD program in the humanities. But it was not possible to run 50, 60 miles a week. So kind of just by mistake, I ended up running like 30 miles a week. And actually what really blows my mind is, you know, back when I ran my first marathon, Kiowa Island in, um, that was seven years ago, whatever year that was, 2012. Um, I ran a 317. I was running 30 miles a week, <laughs> which that just sounds, that, that just sounds crazy. I don't think I even quite realized how crazy that was at the time. It's probably good I didn't. Um, but really as a result of grad school, I started doing more yoga and then somewhere along the line, I realized I started getting faster from doing less miles and more yoga. Um, and then I also started swimming. So I was a, actually a swimmer before I was a runner and kind of like the classic story that I tell people is, you know, I learned to swim when I was 11, which is actually really late, but I loved it. I was really unathletic you know, considered to be not athletic at all my whole life. Ha, jokes on them. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was picked last in gym class. It was insane. Like people would be like, wow, Anne, you're so slow. Like I got told that in grade school consistently, like people were mean. Um, 
And, you know, it worked out. I just read a book a day. I ended up getting my PhD in English. <laughs> the reading, the reading was always there. The speed definitely came later. Um, but you no, know, my mom was a gymnast for WVU and my dad played baseball at Harvard and they both accused the other one of like, wow, Anne takes after you, you know? <laughs> um, so I don't know. I was just, I guess, a late bloomer. Um, and it just all kind of came together, but oh my gosh, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. The, the, um, oh yeah. So swimming. So I started swimming when I was 11 and I just immediately fell in love with it. I think I was probably, you know, at heart, always a distance athlete. And it was just so nice to actually be good at a sport from, you know, my entire childhood. I would always be, I was always considered horrible at sports. And I would like write in my little journal, like, oh, if I could only win a ribbon at field day in the hundred meter dash, that would be like so amazing. Um, <laughs> and then I started running when I was in high school. Um, and then of course, when I ran in Notre Dame, I couldn't swim like I wanted to really, but I kept doing all my doubles in the pool. So I always felt like that was an advantage too. Um, and then after my first marathon in 2012, I, um, ended up, I was with a post-collegiate group here, but they always trained at like five in the morning, which was really hard when you're getting your PhD. So I quit that group and just started training my own and then also started swimming more because I always miss that sport. Um, so swimming over the past couple of years has been really pivotal, pivotal to my training too. Um, so really it's, you know, like the whole like runners love, love yoga philosophy of do yoga run faster. It's also about finding a system that really works for you that might be really not conventional at all. Um, but finding that right balance or that right rhythm to your week of, you know, running and yoga and swimming or anything else that you're finding is really helping you that, you know, enables you to have this really successful system, um, going forward into your races in your marathon training. Now I want to hear about, you know, the physical benefits that yoga has provided you and why you think it has, you know, allowed you to become a stronger runner. But before we get there, how has it affected you uh, mentally and emotionally uh, in your everyday life and within your running that you think could also be something that you that could translate to others' lives? Oh, wow. Yoga, I think, first of all, I, I hear from people who sometimes have been like, oh, I've tried yoga and I hated it. Those people just need to find the right yoga teacher for them because there's so many different styles out there. And even within those particular styles of yoga, it's going to vary based on the teacher and just how that specific teacher teaches. So if anyone listening is thinking like, oh, wow, I really hate yoga, just keep going to yoga. You're going to find something or somebody who's a great yoga teacher just for you that's going to help you out in an enormous way. Um, I don't think I would even be running today if it weren't for yoga. It, I, I had an IT band injury at Notre Dame just from, you know, it'll happen to you when you're running the 10K on the track and just going one direction. Um, and I basically cured myself with pigeon pose. And that was really, that began my love story with yoga. Um, and it, yeah, it just enormous mental benefits. It just makes you so much more aware of your body that, you know, when something's not even like I can tell like, oh, wow, my right calf feels really bad compared to my left calf. And then I can fix it before it becomes a big problem for me. Um, I think it makes you more efficient in your stride just in how you're overall moving, like your mobility. Um, but mentally, it just 
does enormous things for you. You, it's very empowering. I think you know you go into yoga, and, and you have to also realize you know sometimes I think we runners tend to be ultra competitive, and you know it's it is about getting a certain time or getting a certain place. But with yoga, it's always a journey. So you know, like you're, it doesn't really matter. I tell my yoga students this all the time. Like it doesn't matter you know, if you can do X, Y, Z pose or not, it just matters that you're listening to your body. And I think that listening to your body is just so huge in terms of translating to your running and even your racing ability. Like I, I feel very confident in my ability to race and know how hard I can push myself at certain times in a race. Like I feel very confident in that in myself. Um, and I think part of that is definitely from yoga and knowing just being very aware of how I feel at any given moment. And when you talk about that mind-body connection, obviously there's the direction of the mind perceiving how the body is feeling and imbalances and, and the like. Is there an enhancement in the other direction as well in terms of the body, the mind being able to dictate or being able to, will is not the right word, but basically to kind of um, to spur on you know, your, your, your physical movements? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um, during this past marathon, um, this is going to sound so goofy, but you know, it is amazing during a marathon, like what mental things you can tell yourself that work, you know? And I think that's going to be so different based on each individual, individual person at any given moment. But the lead pacer, Chris was a swimmer. And I know that because at the elite meeting, he had a swimming shirt on and that somehow just made me feel so much better. I'm like, yes, this guy's my man. Um, and he ended up being the pacer I was with for most of the race. And then for really the last seven, eight miles, he was the one that was right around me. And I even like was running just honestly directly behind him. And it wasn't like I had a magical race where I felt like amazing this whole 26 miles. It was hard. Like halfway through, I was really not sure I was going to make this thing. Um, and I just thought to myself, just like swimming. And I just thought that to myself for literally probably a good 70 minutes of that marathon. I just repeated that in my mind over and over and kind of didn't allow any thoughts to keep intruding on myself. Um, and it went with my stride and it worked and it really just, I thought to myself, you know, and if this were a swim practice and you were doing a bunch of intervals, you would know that you could knock this out and you would just keep doing the same thing, even if you're hurting. So I just kind of tried to take that and apply it to my marathon and <laughs> it worked. So yeah, your mind, there's definitely limits, but my mind definitely is what got me to that finish line. It was not that I was feeling like I was floating along on a little cloud. Like the whole, the whole last half, quite frankly, really hurt. I have no idea how I did that. Um, so yeah, the, the mind is everything. So what are some common misconceptions that you like to poke holes in for people who are trying to become better runners and maybe aren't embracing yoga not because they don't have the time or funds or can't invest in it, but simply because they don't think that running and yoga are compatible. Oh my gosh. Well, one thing people are always like, oh, well, I'm not flexible, so I can't do yoga. But that that's like, I think the number one excuse you hear from people across the board and it doesn't matter how flexible you are. <laughs> um, and also you're doing yoga in order to become more flexible. It's And it doesn't take a lot of time. Like, honestly, you could do... If you do 10 minutes of yoga a day, and I tell that to my yoga students at the University of Virginia all the time too, you know, because kind of the goal of that class is to, at UVA is to get them to keep doing yoga after class is done. Um, I'll tell them, you know, like 10 minutes of yoga a day is adding up to more than an hour of yoga a week. So 
it, it's just about finding like a tiny little bit of time within your schedule where you can carve it out and make it make that work for you. Like even if you just stretch after you run for 10 minutes, you're you're going to feel better. Like just I would say to people who are skeptical, just try it and see how you feel and you're going to be amazed. I actually get messages from people all the time. So I have with Runners Love Yoga, I have streamable yoga workouts online that that people can watch. And I get messages from people all the time saying like, I would not have made it through this training cycle for Boston if it weren't for your hips and IT band video. Um, or, you know, or it happens a lot of time, actually, right after a marathon, I'll get messages from people saying basically that, like, if I hadn't, oh, I got a message from a guy who had just done New York, who said he did my yoga videos every single day. And he could tell if he ever missed a day in his runs. So I guess to people who are skeptical, just try it and see what happens. And they might be really surprised. And if they need guidance, I can help them with that too. (laughs) And what does your routine look like? And I'm sure this is partly what you do for yourself in conjunction with, you know, leading a class and doing something along those lines. Well, um, I'll say that I have to, I feel like I have to add in here that I am almost a full-time yoga teacher. So my routine is going to look different than what I would actually recommend to somebody. But, um, right now I do anywhere from, depends on what day I'm, day of the week it is, but anywhere from like half of an hour to like two hours of yoga a day. Um, and it, it doesn't always have to be really intense either. You know, it's, um, I do, I I like my style of yoga because it's a real mix of vinyasa, which means kind of flow-based yoga where you're moving through the poses really fluidly, you're moving with your breath, um, and yin yoga. So yin yoga, it's a style of yoga that's characterized by longer holds of poses, and it's all seated or reclining. So it's closely related to restorative yoga, but not quite. So restorative yoga, you could say, is targeting more of your nervous system, whereas yin yoga is targeting more of your fascia and your deeper connective tissue. Um, so I really try to kind of blend those both together um, when I'm even doing my own yoga. Um, I, let's see. So like throughout the week, I do like a little over two hours of yoga on Monday, and that's mostly because I'm teaching so much. And then Tuesday, I do I do less. It's more centered around when I've run. So I'll just go to my mat after I do my longer-ish run of like 10, 11 miles and you know, stretch for like 20 minutes. And let's see, Wednesday, I'm usually around like an hour and a half. Thursday, I almost do entirely yin yoga. And then Friday, it's almost two hours of more of a mix of the vinyasa and yin. And then Saturday, Sunday, totally depends on what I've done running wise. So, you know, I think it's also important, you know, not to force the yoga there. I I tell people you can't do too much yoga. And that's because when you're doing yoga, you're listening to your body. And sometimes that might mean doing almost no yoga. (laughs) So it's kind of a trick, you know, you can't do too much yoga. I mean, you technically could, but if you're like pushing it that far, you could argue that it's not yoga anyway. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's really like finding where you can build it into your schedule. That's fascinating. I know this is like a rabbit hole. We could go down for hours. So I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, ease up here at this point from the yoga because it is so fascinating and it is so different than what other runners are doing. So I would advise people to check out your website though, Runners Love Yoga. You do a great job of doing a lot of this. And as you mentioned, you have the streaming, um, streaming, uh, you know, yoga videos and things along those lines. And now, Anne, now that you're here, OTQ in hand, ready to roll. What are the next, you know, two months or so going to look like uh, before Atlanta? And are you planning on running the trials? 
Oh, heck yeah. I'm so running these trials. I, it's funny. My husband keeps asking people that too, people who've qualified and they're like, are you kidding me? Of course I'm going, you know, (laughs) um, I am taking two weeks off right now. I always take two weeks off after a marathon of no running. I'll do some cross training. Like I'm doing yoga. I'm not doing any yoga yet. I can hardly even move yet. Um, (laughs) um, I'm doing some yin yoga, but I'm not, it's not a lot of moving right now. Um, I'm going down the stairs barely. Um, so I'm taking two weeks off and then I don't know, I am still on such a high from this race that I haven't really like mapped it out week by week yet. That's one of my goals for this week, but, um, not a lot of time, but I'll be okay. So I think back to 2015 when I ran Steamtown and in October and then did CIM in December. So if I can do that, I can do this too. It'll be okay. Um, so two weeks off then during Christmas, I'm going to just kind of slowly ramp it up and really listen to my body. I want to make sure I'm feeling good at trials too and not jumping into anything too soon. Um, I don't know. I'll probably get like one or two. I'll probably, I'm going to aim for probably at least two longer long runs in there. But um, besides that, just I'll probably be in the pool a good bit because <laughs> this is going to be a shorter buildup. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's not a very good answer because I don't, I don't know yet what it's going to look like, but I'm taking two weeks off right now. So, <laughs> and you're, you know, as you know, a self-described serial racer. Um, so is there a middle ground here in terms of, you know, kind of really taking it slow, listening to your body, not pushing yourself, but also kind of, you know, going towards your normal inclination of loving to race? Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I don't know how people do like, I'll see on Instagram, people are all like at the weekend after their marathon, they're like, I ran a 5k. And I'm like, you guys are crazy. You know, like, oh my gosh, don't know how anyone does that. But and I, I talked to a guy yesterday who he came in second at CIM, CJ Albertson. And the next day he ran nine miles. Oh my God. Yeah. I thought that to myself after CIM when I was barely walking, like I, I could not have run through the airport. I had a connection. Flying out of Charlottesville is impossible. You have to always take two flights. We have a night, Grace, great little airport. It's really easy to get out of and come back from. Um, but you always have two flights. So we had a layover in Chicago yesterday. And I thought to myself, thank God this wasn't that tight of a connection because there is no way it, on this earth that I would be able to run to a gate right now. Like it just... Literally, like my legs, I was like a baby deer. Like my legs were buckling like every 10 steps, especially from sitting down so long on the first flight. Um, yeah, there is no running happening yet. I am, <laughs> I'm actually feeling much more mobile three days out than I was yesterday. Yesterday I was like, oh boy. <laughs> um, yeah, I will, I will be in the pool a good bit this next couple weeks and then, you know, gradually progressing to more land activity soon. Um, I, yeah, December, I probably won't race at all because. I won't be, I just won't be ready yet. It, you, you, I do really, at this point, you know, this was my 10th marathon. I really do respect the distance and, you know, how you feel. And every marathon's a little different. Sometimes you bounce back sooner than you think, but I'll probably find at least one. I'll, I'm definitely going to, like, thinking on this, I'm not honestly like thinking aloud right now. I'll probably do at least two races in January and at least one in February before the trials, but don't know what those would be yet. Um, I actually backed off a tiny bit of some of the racing this fall. So I haven't tallied it up yet, but I usually do about 40 some races a year. And there, and I will race practically every weekend. I just love it. It's, and it also functions as my speed workouts because I don't do any track workouts. So I need those races or otherwise I would be slow. <laughs> um, 
So this fall, there were a couple periods of time where I really, you know, I would have like a gap of like three weeks between a race and, you know, then I would go really fast then when I had that break, you know, and I thought to myself, well, maybe if I race just a tiny bit less, this will actually really help me too. So who knows? I do love racing though. Races are awesome. That's, they're just, it's, it's, I love seeing the running community at races and I love just the competition. I love competing. It's, I I love races. (laughs) Well, Anne, thank you so much for coming on the, the, the show today. This was such a fun conversation. Congratulations on CIM and good luck moving forward. Thank you so much. So great to be here. Thanks for talking to me. This is awesome. And thank you for coming on. What a great story this was. It's, Anne is such an incredible person. And like I said in the intro, it's so much fun to hear people having an alternative way and method to getting to high-level running success. It really is awe-inspiring and shows that there is no direct line that all of us have to follow. There are certain principles we all need to abide by, but there's a lot of wiggle room within there. So, Anne, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your journey. Thank you for rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. It's so wonderful to see, and I thank you so much for doing so. Have a great day, and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution.